If you're looking for success in the vacation rental industry, Heather Bayer and the team at cottageblogger.com are here to show you that it's entirely within reach. Welcome to Vacation Rental Success, the show that features interviews with industry experts, successful vacation rental owners, and more, all geared toward helping you make it happen. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. Well, hello again. This is Heather Bayer, and this is episode number 24 of Vacation Rental Success. And first of all, I want to just explain why the audio quality is not the best today. Usually I'm at home in my office, and I've got a really snazzy setup there with a really good microphone, a mixer what's called a gate limiter, which stops all the extraneous noise from getting through. So you get a really nice, clear sound. Well, at the moment, if you were to see me, I'm sitting in an RV in an RV park in Kingston, Ontario. It's six o'clock in the morning. I'm snug and warm. Um, The fire's going because it's cold outside again. But uh, yes, I've got a nice, nice warm fire. I've got... um, I've got the dog who's lying right across my lap, and I'm really quite comfortable, but uh, I'm talking into my small uh, Roland recorder, which is a little digital recorder, which I, I actually use to record all these podcasts, and it, and it just records it down onto an SD card. But usually it runs all the way through my nice equipment in the office, and all I'm doing today is just talking into the little microphone here. So forgive me for this. I hope you'll find the content today worthy enough to hang on through to the end and just ignore the few hisses and pops you might hear. One of the reasons I'm doing this is that I had got a couple of interviews lined up last week, but unfortunately they cancelled. So I thought that I'd have a go at doing another solo episode today. And the reason is I was out running yesterday morning. And I was listening to a podcast by Pat Flynn, who's a great inspiration to me. I mean, check out smartpassiveincome.com. It's my go-to site for anything involving internet marketing and, uh, and usually motivation on how to get going and keeping the blog going and keeping the podcast going. So anytime I'm struggling a bit to think about what to write for the blog or a topic for the podcast, or I begin to wonder if anybody actually reads the blog or listens to the podcast. Usually half an hour with Pat Flynn in my ears is enough to push the motivation button again, which is is absolutely great. And I was listening to his latest podcast yesterday, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes because it's, it's equally useful for anybody who is running any sort of business. And ours is a great example of a small business that you might have struggles with because his latest podcast was about what he struggles with. And it was very interesting because he's a very highly successful person who seems to have it all together. And to hear that he has just the same challenges that most of us in the internet world do was even more inspirational. And it had me thinking about my own struggles in the vacation rental business and how I overcame them, uh, or not, as there are still some that I find quite difficult to get over. 
So this episode explores five of the biggest fears I had when I started out renting my properties and even with starting the agency. And I'm going to share why I no longer find them as challenging, maybe uncomfortable, but not a struggle anymore. So the first one is the fear or the struggle to get bookings. And when I first kicked off, like many of us do, I'd put a lot of money into it. I'd set up a website, spent money on the listings, bought wonderful linens for the beds and new pillows and everything was absolutely wonderful. And then I sort of sat back and waited for the bookings to flood in. And that was one of the biggest fears. What would happen if they didn't? How was I going to pay for it all? How would I get all that money back? And my situation at that time was we'd actually come out from England to Canada. We'd bought a cottage in Ontario with the sole purpose of renting it out. The reason being is that the previous year I'd come over from England with my family to a wedding. We'd stayed in a rental cottage, which was great, but I just felt I could do it better. And there I was back in the UK, having spent six months setting the place up for rental didn't have a single booking and we'd spent a huge amount of money on it and there was a mortgage to pay and there was insurance to pay and there were taxes to pay. It was, I'm not sure I was going to say it was a struggle, it was a challenge to overcome the fears that no one was going to come. And in fact, if I look back, I realised that I had done the homework really, really well. There was a market for it. I'd set the price right. I'd got all my, we call it all my ducks in a row. So I had somebody to manage it when I wasn't there. Somebody to see people in and out. Someone to do the changeovers. So when in fact the bookings did start to come in, I was very confident it was going to work for me. But the three things that overcame that challenge, that challenge of worrying about getting bookings are these. And the first one is a constant re-evaluation. And it's a re-evaluation of photos, of the text I'm using on a listing, and of how I respond to email. It's not a matter of just posting a listing and then just leaving it sit dormant. You need to listen to the people who book read their emails, talk to them on on the telephone, ask them why they booked. What was it that made the place so appealing? What was it that stood it out above the rest? And that is as important for the very first person that comes along and books as it is for, for the latest one. And we always do this asking. It's always a question I do at the end of every reservation. What was it that made you book this property. And sometimes it could be as simple as, I've got friends in the area and needed something close by. But on others, it was, it might have been a single photo that made the difference. It might have been something that I'd written. And somebody, I remember in the very early days, somebody said that I'd written something about the loons calling in the early morning. And they'd always had a vision of sitting on a deck in the early morning light as the sun rose and hearing loons calling in the distance. And the fact that I'd written about doing that 
was enough to make them want to book, and she said she didn't really look at the rest of the listing. It was as though she'd found her paradise, just from that single piece of text. And I've also constantly evaluated how I respond to email, how I read between the lines, as it were, not just look at what they've written and the dates they want to book and is it available and what the rate is, but check for for other little things that can give cues and clues as to why they're booking. And it could be, my husband has a birthday coming up and we'd like to spend it at your place, or we've got an anniversary, or we're visiting an attraction in the area. Because that's so important to go back and reference that comment they've made just with a simple how lovely that you've cho- you're thinking of choosing our cottage to spend your anniversary it's a v- very romantic spot and we can just imagine you taking your glass of wine down to the deck and watch the sun go down what a lovely way to spend time together or something like that that that's just something that's popped into my mind but i generally do something like that if somebody says something in an email that's a cue for me to respond appropriately and uh, and just try it the second thing that overcame the challenge of getting bookings was right at the outset creating a sequence of emails so not just responding to the first email and leaving it at that but sending three first one responding to the inquiry giving the availability and rates or whatever answering whatever question there was and the second one came a few days later that just said just said I sent you an email a couple of days ago letting you know about the availability and rates of the cottage and I haven't heard back I'm assuming that you've perhaps booked another cottage but just in case you haven't I wanted to send you a little more information and in that second email, I send a small, a short PDF that's a one side that has a list of all the things that they can do in the area, uh, a couple of restaurants that have recently opened, this sort of thing. What that does is just show the people who have inquired that you are a real person and that you have interest in them. And that often really, really works if they're sitting on the fence. The third email goes another few days later and just simply says, thank you so much for inquiring about our cottage last week. I hope you found something great to stay in this summer and that you'll consider us again in the future. And I always send a really nice picture of the property with that email. And sometimes we will get bookings from that third email. And that's always that's always great when that happens and you think, I'm so glad I persevered with this one. But this doesn't have to be difficult because you've created your sequence of emails beforehand and you can use a an autoresponder such as MailChimp.com, which will send those emails for you. You don't even have to uh, uh, do it manually. So check that out as well. My third thing I've done that overcame the challenge of getting bookings, was knowing when to pick up the phone. And that refers back to my first point about really reading an email and getting the cue as to how the potential guest would like you to respond. Because if they say in their email, I really like the sound of your cottage, I'd love to hear more, or I'd love you to tell me more, what they're saying in that 
by using that phraseology is that they want you to pick up the phone and call them. And I often do that anyway, just on the off chance. If I really want to rent a week and somebody call, uh, somebody emails, I'll pick up the phone straight away. I interviewed Rex Brown recently from uh, Melbourne, Australia, and he does this all the time. He gets a text or an email, immediately picks up the phone and calls them back and has great results from that. So now here we are a number of years later and my initial fear about getting bookings is no longer there, probably because many, many of my guests are repeat renters now. They come back year after year. So perhaps 60% of my weeks I know are going to be filled by the repeat guests. But I still use those three techniques the constant re-evaluation, a creation of a sequence of emails that goes out in response to every inquiry and picking up the phone and knowing when somebody wants to talk to us. My second biggest fear when we started out was one that affects many, many people I know because I get this question over and over again and that's about damage. As I mentioned at that time when we bought our first place, I then came back to England. So I was a long, long way away and relying on somebody I didn't really know very well, my property manager, to look after the place and to check for damage after every rental and to let me know what had happened, if anything had happened, of course. So it was quite a fear and a worry and And in fact, interestingly, yesterday I was out looking at a property down on Lake Ontario and talking to the owners who've now, we're now coming up to their second full summer. And we were talking about their experiences of their first year. And their property sits down on the lakefront and there's a hill behind it. And up on that hill, the owner's brother lives. And she said, she said, I know it sounds awful, she said, but that very first rental, it, she said, we, we got it all ready. And then we, we went up and sat on my brother's deck and then we watched the people arrive. And, and she said, I was, counting, I was counting the cars as they came in. And I was counting the people as they went in the property. And I really, really wanted to go down and just ask them to make sure that they'd look after my place okay and wouldn't do any damage to it. And she said, in fact, it was absolutely perfect and the same for every other rental that we've ever had. And the only time that we've had any damage, it was so minimal. We wouldn't would have ever thought about claiming on a damage deposit. But it's so natural for new owners to be concerned about damage. And particularly so when they have emotional involvement with a property like this uh, this owner did. If it's just an investment, let's say you're investing in a a condo or or maybe a, a a Disney property that you're not going to use yourself, you may be less bothered about the risk factor because there is always a risk factor in this business. Investors tend to be a little less, well, quite a lot less risk averse. They understand that the risk of damage goes with the territory. It's part of doing this business. But I, like many other new owners at the very outset, had this huge fear that having spent, invested all this time and money and, yes, some emotional involvement in my property in Ontario, that somebody was going to, to put a stain on the carpet or there was going to be a heat ring on the, on the brand new table, that sort of thing. So I had to learn how to deal with that 
how to overcome that particular challenge. And it's really more about pre-planning on how you're going to deal with it. Do I take a damage deposit? When do I use it? How do I deal with a guest who claims they didn't damage anything when I've put in a claim? Because they counter with an argument that there was something already wrong with the property. This happens over and over again. Topic of another episode, I think. But this uh, this damage fear, and I've mentioned it in a previous uh, blog post, in fact, it does impact many people. And for some, it will will deter them from renting altogether. So what did I do to overcome that challenge and to be far more laid back about it as I am now? Number one is accepting that there is an element of risk. It does, as I've just said, it comes with the territory and it's a cost of doing this business. And I've mentioned it to many new owners. Don't do this. If you if you cannot accept the risk, don't do it. Don't go into the business, particularly if this is your pride and joy, your much-loved property, then this is not the business for you. You've got to accept that there's an element of risk and become less risk-averse and uh, go with the flow on occasion. And it's it's interesting, after the couple of little... And usually you don't start out with a massive damage claim. Every week there's going to be something, there's going to be a chipped plate, a broken glass, uh, perhaps an ornament that's damaged. And all I would simply say is if, if you are, when, when you are furnishing, just check around the property and make sure that you're not leaving anything behind that would really cut you up if it was damaged or broken. And this doesn't mean you don't have to leave nice things to make the place look nice, but anything that's of real sentimental value that you could not accept damage to, then just don't leave it there. Take it home, put it somewhere else. The second thing I did that overcame the challenge of damage was stopping taking a damage deposit at all. Now, that might seem a little bit unusual, a little bit off the wall. I mean, if I was worried about damage, why would I stop taking a damage deposit? Well, it actually came along with becoming less risk averse and accepting the element of risk. And it was after a year or so when I hadn't had any exceptional damage at all. And the odd occasions when people broke things, they tended to leave money. And I'd arrive and there'd be a broken wine glass sat on the countertop with a $5 bill or a call to say, I'm so sorry, we spilt something on the carpet, but we used the carpet cleaner that you'd left and the, the, the stain appears to have come out. But please let us know if you need to clean it and you need to charge us. And we've had this over and over again. If people do some damage they will let us know and, in general, offer to pay for it. The only time we ever claimed on the damage deposit when uh, in, the, in the early years when we were still taking one was uh, for a hot tub cover and it was clearly damaged by... There were, there were three teenagers, early teens, at the place and with the way the hot tub cover was damaged you could ex- see exactly how it was done that one of them had been sat in the middle of it and the other two were pushing it up at the sides because the polystyrene had cracked in exactly the same place on either side. Just indicative of a weight being um, pushed up. And the hot tub cover was five, they were $500 to replace. It was about two years old. So uh, in, a, in a five-year life, 
So we took $300 from the guest damage deposit and she was incensed, telling me that this is what children do. And they didn't really damage it. They were just they were just playing. It was just horseplay. And that was the that was the only time that I stuck to my guns and took that money. I have always looked back on that particular incident and wondered whether we should continue to do so because of that. But because there's been like ninety nine percent of all our guests have been absolutely fantastic, and this one percent um, failed me in some way. That that just wasn't enough. To, uh, to for, for me to continue that practice, which I'm not comfortable with. Also, to overcome that challenge, we are we now offer da- an accidental damage protection. So, for a small fee, they are covered for up to about um, up to two and a half thousand dollars of accidental damage. Now, that's done through our agency, but there are companies like uh, Travel Guard who do offer a similar sort of plan. So, so check that out. That's very worthwhile having. And it, it re- you know, it saves some hassle. You don't have to collect money, deposit it, and then pay it back at the end of a rental. So that's me overcoming the challenge of damage. I never, ever worry about it anymore. My third challenge was dealing with things breaking down. And that was a biggie, because what happens if something breaks down and I'm not there to deal with it? If it's in the middle of winter and I have guests and there's a power outage and the heating doesn't come back on or if the power's out for three days and my guests are stuck there um what happens in the height of the summer when it's really hot and the fridge breaks down and i've got guests there with a baby and they need they need to have cooled milk that sort of thing and i really fretted about these things but over the over the first couple of years i put things in place that overcame that challenge completely The first one was to create a troubleshooting guide. And I'll put a link to a post I wrote about the troubleshooting guide a month or so ago, because that was quite detailed. And what we did was we went through, we actually sat down as a family and had a brainstorm about absolutely everything that could go wrong. And we went through every season of the year. We talked about power outages. We talked about septic backup or just everything that could possibly potentially ruin a vacationer's time if it wasn't dealt with and then we had all these problems and i have to say some of some of our in the brainstorming it got quite extreme um you know a tornado hit or although having said that this happens to people so and happens to homes and is a is a serious risk in a lot of places so it actually did stay on the list and we did deal with it in the response which was the next the next column i guess on our brainstorm exercise so we identified everything that could possibly happen and then we came up with a solution what would we do what could we do immediately to deal with the situation how would we handle the guests could they stay Would they have to go home? If they did, would we refund or not? And we went through every possible scenario. It was a terrific exercise, and I really recommend that everybody does this one. So the second thing we did to overcome the challenge of dealing with things breaking down was to create a list of all the tradespeople who could respond quickly. And of course, if you have a great property manager, you should feel confident that breakdowns will be handled quickly anyway. But it really is worthwhile checking on that. So what we did was we found an electrician, a plumber and a really good handyman 
who we talked to and said, if these things occurred, can you give us priority? How quickly would it take you to deal with it? And we spoke to quite a few until and then came up with our list. And then we have a list of secondary tradespeople as well. Now, the interesting thing we found with a couple of plumbers in our particular area was that they said, well, you need you can't just call us out. You need to be our customers before we will put you on an emergency list. So it really is important to check on that to see if tradespeople will come out urgently if you're not already a customer. The third thing I did that overcame the challenge was to refine our terms and conditions of rental so it's quite clear what are grounds for a refund and what are not. Because there are some guests who will jump on any issue, any situation that occurs as cause for a refund or a rebate. So let's say the power goes out and they don't have... We did have this one. The power went out. Guests wanted to watch a particular hockey match. And of course, the power went out just before the hockey match started and didn't come back on until after it had finished. And they wanted a refund for their entire weekend because they'd only booked the property so they could come and watch the hockey match. Now, there's two things there. One, the power outage was completely out of our control. And secondly, that the breakdown of a, of what could be termed a non-essential item does not constitute grounds for refund. And both those things are in our terms and conditions that should the power go out, and, and we do put a time limit on it, and it's usually 12 hours. If, a power, if the power goes out for less than 12 hours, there will be no refund or rebate. After 12 hours, we actually look at it in a different way because in the height of the summer, they could be without air conditioning, could be without refrigeration and may have to actually leave. And we had to consider whether that would be grounds for refund as well. In fact, we now offer travel insurance that, that would cover them getting a refund in the event of their leaving because of such a situation occurring. So we're now able to say that we did offer you travel insurance if you chose not to accept it. Unfortunately, there is no refund. And we've done that fairly recently um, with, um, with people that came to Osprey Cottage in the winter and the road was inaccessible because of um, snow and ice. And our guests, and, and this was just a flash freeze just before they arrived it was completely out of our control but these guests had travel insurance and they got their money back and we were able to put them somewhere else which was great so we have all this in the terms and conditions of rental so that's how we manage how we overcame the challenge of dealing with things that break down so number one creating a troubleshooting guide number two having the right tradespeople in place and number three having really good terms and conditions of rental the next challenge was, and this was this was tough for me, and this was dealing with difficult guests. I don't handle conflict easily. I'm a really easygoing person. I rarely get upset about anything. And I just want to take you back for a moment to back to 19... Oh, it would be about mid-1980s, and I was running a small hotel in England and it was more of a bed and breakfast in fact we just had five bedrooms and I was running it with them with my parents and they had gone away for a couple of days leaving me in charge 
which was fine. Um, but one thing I will share with you is that I'm I'm actually a, an extremely shy person. It took me very many many years before I was able to pick up a telephone and make a phone call without really psyching myself up to it. And at those times, I was I was I was a smoker and. I liked the occasional glass of wine. So if I had to make a telephone call, I'd prepare myself with, with my packet of cigarettes and my glass of wine. And, and this was to call the dentist to make an appointment. That's how bad the, I suppose, social phobia, you could call it, had, uh, had become. I have overcome that now, but I'm still extremely uncomfortable with handling any face-to-face contact or even any over-the-phone contact. So managing starting up a rental business there was a huge fear that there would be difficult guests that somebody would call and complain and I wouldn't know how to deal with it and we do know there are serial complainers and um, going back to this story of our, our little hotel the old vicarage my parents went away and this couple came and stayed in in one of the uh, we called it the coach house. It was a separate little, uh, separate accommodation, which was completely self-contained, a lovely spot, and we just had it built. Uh, it was a last-minute booking, and they arrived, and they were pleasant enough, middle-aged couple, and off they went. I gave them, they, they had a meal in the restaurant, and they went off to their room. And in the morning, they came in for breakfast, and they were, they were okay, they weren't that chatty. And as they came to pay the bill, I asked if everything was all right. And they said, well, actually, no, it wasn't. The beds were very uncomfortable. It was extremely cold and the heating wasn't working and they had no intention of paying because it had been the most uncomfortable night they'd ever spent. And I was devastated. We'd never had a complaint. The We'd just bought these beds. They were, they were top of the range at that time, back in the 80s. We didn't have the pillow top things, but... Uh, but they were very comfortable beds. And and I tested the heating before they'd arrived. And I told them this, and they were absolutely adamant. Well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter, miss. We had the most uncomfortable night, and we're not paying for it. And I totally crumbled, and off they went. And that was my first experience of a serial complainer. And, and I heard later from other hoteliers and bed and breakfast owners in the area that these people had done the same in several other places. And that was clearly how they lived their life. They went from bed and breakfast and hotel to hotel and and made their complaints and got away without paying. Um, but I, I crumbled very, very quickly. There was n- very little argument from me. So going into the rental business, that, that was something that was very front of mind. How do I deal with people who make a complaint? Am I immediately going to just give them their money back? Well, in fact, one of the first things I did was to to overcome the challenge was just not do it. I would <laughs> hand it over to hand it over to my husband Phil, or my caretaker would deal with it. But I've I've learned, and now 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 I'm running a rental agency with over two hundred properties. There are always going to be complaints if you've got one hundred and fifty people, one hundred and fifty families in properties every week there will be issues arising in some of them at least so I've had to learn to deal with and handle those things but I've also put other things in place for my own properties and number one is is just like the previous resolution to to a challenge was to create really good terms and conditions of rental 
so that they can be referred back to in times of complaint. And one of the things we say on in our arrival guide is you must let us know as soon as a problem occurs. Please don't leave it until after you've gone home because we may not be able to resolve it. Please give us the opportunity to do it there and then because there will be no refund or rebate if you complain at a later date. The wording is not quite like that, but I'm I'm doing this off the top of my head. So it's something like that. It basically says, let us know to actually give us the opportunity to deal with it. In the terms and conditions of rental, it actually says what we cover and what we don't and what may constitute a rebate and what will not. And that's worked really well. The second way of overcoming the challenge was learning to recognise the signs of a serial complainer because they're there. And this is one, lots of questions prior to a rental regarding what will happen if things go wrong. I used to think that these people were just nervous about going to a rental, but after a couple of uh, situations occurred where these uh, these guests complained after the event, we were able to go back and see all the myriad questions that had been asked for beforehand. What happens if the place isn't clean enough when we arrive? What happens if if the power goes off? What happens if something breaks down? And those questions are the clues to the potential for a complaint at the end of a stay. So uh, to just look out for those, because if you recognise those signs, you've got a really good handle on how to manage it should something come up at the end. Um, the third one, of course, is don't give any grounds for complaint. Make sure your troubleshooting guide is in place so that if anything goes wrong, it's dealt with immediately. And make sure the place is absolutely spotless when people arrive. Make sure that everything is working as it should be working. And this goes down to even to, to making sure that every light bulb in the place is working. So don't give anyone a cause for complaint. And difficult guests will have a real, find it really difficult to make a complaint. So my final challenge was, and perhaps is, still is to a certain degree, is reviews. And this is still a struggle for me because like everyone, I don't like getting a poor review. And that actually goes for all my owners in the agency as well. And we had, there was a poor review for a property recently that I felt was completely unjustified, and and so did the owner. But of course, um, we, we can't do anything about them. We can't remove them. We can only respond in an appropriate way. So I just want to just step back a little bit. I remember seven or eight, maybe six, seven years ago, when HomeAway first introduced um, the review system, and there was such an outcry because you couldn't do anything with a bad review you couldn't remove it people were arguing that you know if somebody wrote a bad review because they had some sort of axe to grind it was completely unfair and it should be they should be able to monitor these and remove any that were too negative and and I oh gosh I remember I remember so many people getting so upset about this and flash forward five, five or six years and we completely accept that this is the norm now. I mean, it's a norm for everything you buy. You're going to be able to write a review and you're going to read a review and there will always be negative reviews, justified or unjustified. 
So the way I overcame the challenge of getting a negative review was number one, not giving any grounds for complaint. It's just you know going back up to the difficult guests that we've just uh, we just talked about. If there are no legitimate grounds for complaint, then a negative review is not going to do the damage because people can read through the lines in a review. Often negative reviews are based on conditions that are right out of your control, such as the weather. If you've read my blog and earlier podcasts when I talked about our stay in the Bahamas earlier this year, where the weather was really, really bad for 10 days. We really, I think we only had one day of sunshine after 10 days. And it would have been quite easy to mention that in the review we did of the property to say, and I think I probably said something like, the weather didn't play fair for us, but it was so great that the property was so pristine that we were able to enjoy ourselves despite the weather. And of course, I gave it a five star review. But others, there would be other unhappier people out there who may rate the property lower because they had a lower overall experience. And that overall experience, in that overall experience, the weather was a contributor. It really is important to accept that occasionally you may get a negative review because there are unhappy people out there who just don't give positive reviews. The second way of overcoming the challenge was to always respond without emotion and never get defensive. Ah, easier said than done, I hear you say. And it is easier said than done. But it really is important that even if you get a negative review, the first thing you do is you sit down and you write the response you would really, really like to give. Get it all out, put it on paper, put it on the screen, and then delete it. And then write your non-defensive, reasonable and rational response, which thanks always thanks them for giving you their feedback, lets them know that you're going to deal with any situation that they complained about or ranked you negatively for, and let them know that you will ensure that the feedback they gave will result in a better experience all round for them the next time they come. And I know that really is tough to do. It really is tough to ignore those feelings that you've got to say that I've been unjustifiably treated and I want to get back and I want to tell them they didn't leave the place in the condition that they should have done and they broke this and you never want to see them again. But you know, people who come along and read a negative review and then book usually do so because they've read all the other positive reviews and they've seen through that one or two negative ones. And finally, um, my third way of overcoming the fear of reviews is the appreciation that a negative review is an opportunity to improve. If it is justified, well, tough. You made a mistake. Your guests suffered from it and they're letting you know. That's when you can really respond, apologise and maybe you know take it offline, talk to them, make it right with them in some way. Whatever may have occurred, let them know that you will deal with it. And, you know, if that if that results in, in a refund or a rebate or something like that, well, then that that's the way you have to go. But if it's just if it's a justifiable complaint and they have taken it to social media to a review to mention it, then you need to deal with it. 
and, and understand that it's just an opportunity to improve. Well, I've just about come to the end here. And it's interesting because I've been talking about these struggles and it's, it's really got me thinking about, you know, how far I've come over the past 10 years in my, with, with my properties and with my business. You know, looking back on those fears that I had at the beginning and the fact that most of them are, are just minor inconveniences now. I mean, certainly I, I don't worry about getting bookings anymore. That's, that's just doesn't cross my radar. I accept that damage may occur. And sometimes it's going to, it might be larger damage. But things like the Accidental Damage Protection Plan take care of that. And, and it's just accepting the element of risk and being less risk averse really, really helped. Putting in place a troubleshooting guide for when things go wrong has made a massive difference in the worry I have over over weather situations. You know, if we have a snowstorm or um, uh, an electrical storm and we lose power, I, we know exactly what's going to happen and we can call our, our guests and let them know. I will never get over the fear I have of dealing with difficult people and handling conflict. However, it rarely happens anymore because we don't give any grounds for complaint and when we do, I'm able to refer them back to the terms and conditions which clearly explain how we handle these things. And finally, reviews are here to stay. You will get negative ones. Just learn how to handle them, how to respond to them without emotion and never get defensive. Well, I hope the poor or the, the poorer quality of this episode hasn't deterred you from staying through to the end and I'd just like to uh, to thank you for that thank you for stopping with me and for listening uh, to these struggles that I went through there will always be struggles there will always be challenges but you know you can get over them and the other thing is is that there's such a fabulous community out there of people who can who've been there done it and can give you reassurance that you're not the only one. Go to a forum, go to laymyhat.com, go to the Home Away community and just share those experiences. You'd be amazed at how many people come along and say that they've had exactly the same. So my next episode's going to be recorded back in the office and I've got a num number of great interviews coming up. So I will look forward to seeing you again soon and thank you once again for listening to Vacation Rental Success. This episode of Vacation Rental Success is over, but don't worry, Heather will be back soon. Want more great resources? Visit cottageblogger.com for tips, tricks, downloads, and strategies to help you achieve profit from your vacation rental business.